The Keep Birth Wild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced, and we pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. We extend this respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for their right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth and postpartum, and we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In this episode I'm sharing part two of Steffi's birth stories. Today we hear about the 16-week pregnancy and birth of Star Baby. Steffi gives a profoundly beautiful and detailed account of the physical and emotional process of miscarriage and the months of grieving which followed. She shares more about some of the different techniques and rituals she practices and provides for pregnant, birthing and postpartum women, including the closing of the bone ceremony, use of the Mexican rebozo cloth, her birth circles and the churning of a breech baby. Steffi winds up this episode with the story of her final pregnancy and birth with her youngest son, Manu. Manu's birth was very fast, just a couple of hours of very intense labouring, and was followed by an extended third stage, where Steffi actually ended up manually assisting with delivering her own placenta. Steffi's story depicts a physically straightforward story of miscarriage, which is safely managed at home, but like any birth, a miscarriage comes with a potential for risk, and it's essential to be well-informed and appropriately cared for when choosing to remain at home. I would like to acknowledge that this episode contains strong emotional themes around grief and loss, as well as very honest and raw descriptions of the actual process of miscarriage. So if you're feeling that this might be triggering for you, I've noted the timing that we move on to Manu's birth in the show notes, so you can skip straight to that and come back to Star Baby's birth story at another time when you're feeling ready to listen. But that being said, if you have listened to part one of Steffi's story, you'll already know what a beautiful storyteller she is, and I think she navigates this topic Um, in just a really lovely and respectful way. This episode is laced with so much profound wisdom and is, I think, true medicine for women in their childbearing years, so I'll let Steffi share her story. Hi Steffi, welcome back. How are you today? Hello Indy. Yes, I am well, thank you. I'm sitting outside in the sun by the beautiful Lala Creek. In the sun, underneath a great big mountain ash by the, the banks of some wild flowing waters. Mm, Feeling perfect. very happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here and listening to uh, the next two birth stories that you have to share. So we left off the last episode after Aisha's beautiful birth. And, um, yeah, do you want to take us straight into your next pregnancy and how that came about. Yeah, thank you, Indy. So um, as I as I touched on at the conclusion of Isha's story, the year following Isha's birth had been a, a year of deep inner unravelling. Um, 
coupled with significant and non-relenting breastfeeding challenges. And um, while in so many ways that year provided me with incredible growth and eventual healing, it still to date remains one of the most challenging episodes of my life really and the thought of re-entering that early realm of mothering became a concept that um whilst I longed for was also infused with a lot of trepidation so um yeah I worked really hard over those next five years that followed Isha's birth attempting to transform my fear Thankfully, my breastfeeding challenges did resolve after a year and I was able to go on to feed Isha for another 18 months, which was um, a really beautiful part of the ongoing healing process. But um, even with that resolution and the work that I had done, the thought of re-entering another postpartum was something that I held a lot of fear and concern about. Um, again. A visit to the beautiful rock site in the Dandenong Ranges was what clarified for me that there truly was another baby and that it was time to start more actively preparing. So um, that, that journey began probably in maybe the January of the year. Our little star baby was conceived. I began seeing a naturopath and making changes to my diet and um, further attempting to reconcile some of the, the ongoing trepidation that was there. But it wasn't until our beautiful third bubba was conceived that it felt like the, the severity of that fear really came to the fore. And... Um, yeah, Star Weeks, Star Baby's pregnancy, which was 13 weeks in duration, was not easy. Um, I was very well physically. I was well nourished and my body was very well prepared. I didn't suffer any nausea. My breasts grew, my belly grew, and we shared the news of our new baby with our two children and our family and our community. And she was really warmly welcomed by everybody that we shared the news of her coming with. There was a lot of love flowing towards me and it was a really peaceful season of our lives in many ways. But um, my inner world was really in quite a state of turmoil. And I did all I could to comfort this turmoil and to try and find my connection with the precious little being who had graced my life. But um. It wasn't an easy task. And, um, just as it felt like something was beginning to ease in that process of reconciliation, I began to feel things changing in my body and, and it really felt to me that my little bubba was slipping away. My breasts lost their fullness and something about the way of my pregnant sensing was no longer as it had been. And um, in those days of trying to make sense of what it was that I was experiencing, I began to bleed. And to begin with, it was just like a light spotting that lasted for a few days and then intensified. I um, 
lay really low and just retreated to my bedroom really and rested and attempted to commune through the night and the day with my little baby trying to clarify whether they truly had left as I sensed they may have or whether they were still there trying to to cling on and needing my support to keep them with me. So it was it was a really heavy-hearted time of a lot of soul searching trying to find the clarity that I needed within myself. But um on the fourth or the fifth day, I decided to go and get an ultrasound, which was something that I'd never had before. I hadn't had a scan with either of my two pregnancies, and for me it was a, a really big decision to make, and it took me into unfamiliar territory at a time when I was feeling really, really vulnerable. And as we had sensed, there was no heartbeat and my womb was blood-filled and clearly in the process of emptying herself. So after those four or five days in bed, in a state of really deep inner communion, I felt really quite affronted to be receiving that clarification from a stranger in the sterile environment of the sonography room, and um, I really regretted my choice around seeking out the service that I did and finding myself in that setting at such a heartbreaking and sacred time. But that was where I was and that was the choice that I'd made and it was clearly a part of the um, the experience at hand. So we drove home, Damo and I, who had accompanied me to the, um, to the sonographer. But um, I can recall him just feeling like he was a world away from me as I started to integrate the reality of what had been clarified and and began to try and prepare myself for the road that lay ahead. And when we got home, I shared the news with Bea and Isha, and then Bea cried and cried, feeling the heartbreak of his little sibling's loss. But, um, but Isha, who was five at the time, couldn't find her tears. She said she felt like she had so many inside her and, and they just wouldn't fall for her. Um, I hopped into the bath at that point and I called by phone on a beloved midwife and dear friend of ours, Marie-Louise, um, who advised me on what I would need to, to monitor over the, the time to come and, and to ensure that I stayed safe and to be mindful of my blood loss and perspective temperature changes and to inform Damo of what to look for so that we could keep the ongoing process of our little bubba's early birthing as, as safe as possible. So as the night time came, we lit candles and over the hours that followed, my cramping began and my bleeding intensified and and my tears flowed and flowed. And um, I guess it must have been around 9.30, 10-ish, the, the children had gone to, to bed and I'd had several hours of quietness in the bath and um, really felt like I'd come to a point where I was really ready to let my little baby go. And I stood up in the bath and um, I let my my body and our little baby know that um, I was ready, that I was really ready to, to give birth. 
And as though by magic, it seemed, my womb released with a significant contractile feeling of descent and a small sack plopped down into the water and gently floated down to the bottom of the bath. I felt really shocked (laughs) at the time, shocked by my body's responsiveness and shocked to behold that which my womb had released so efficiently. And as I looked down into the water and beheld this little form at the bottom of the bath, I, I had a moment of fear and almost repulsion overcome me. But then I felt the courage to reach down and look a little more closely and I saw the, the beauty of what it was that I had birthed. I was able to take our, our little still sack-enclosed baby in my hands and, and hold and regard what it was that my body had created and, and given birth to. So I, ne- I never saw my little baby. She was encased in her membranes and yet I was able to see the little perfect tiny placenta on the the exterior of the membranes which was just so so perfect the sack was like a felt like a little kind of silken textured planet streaming with shades of mauve and red and pink and silvery blue hues and it was it was truly beautiful and my fear in that process totally dissolved and this really um, beautiful sense of maternal recognition took hold and I just sat there in the warm waters beholding with wonder what it was my body had grown and also wonder for what it was what for that which she had given birth to so smoothly and efficiently and um, after that little bit of quiet time, I called Damo and he came in and sat with me for a short time. But um, once again, it seemed really hard for him to appreciate the magnitude of my experience and also to appreciate the significance of this small little form that I held in my hands. Um, he tried his best to connect with me and what was there between us but um it it really seemed very hard for him to do so and not long after he went to bed um leaving me in the bath with our with our beautiful little baby um I hopped out of the bath and I wrapped our our little baby in a beautiful piece of orange silk and I placed her in a wooden box and I created a little altar on our table and lit a candle in her honour. Then I called my midwife, Marie Louise, and in a really quaint mix of euphoria and grief and proud post-birth accomplishment, I shared the story of my baby's birthing with her, which felt like a really powerful and important thing to have my story heard and held by a wise and compassionate midwife at that time. And, um, yeah, a couple of days later, we we created a little ceremony as a family 
and we buried our little star baby under a star white daphne bush and we each had an opportunity to to give our blessings and gratitude for the short and significant life that she'd shared with us. And from that point, I spent the greater part of probably three weeks to a month really not doing a lot, mostly in bed and um, grieving and crying very, very deeply. I stepped out just on one occasion. One of my closest friends birthed her her sixth baby in the very early days after our star baby had been born. And um, whilst I was wary about entering any space other than the comfort of my own home at that time, stepping into Bridget's birthing space as her sixth baby came very smoothly into the world really offered me the, the balm that I needed at that time. Yeah, otherwise it was a time of very, very tender-hearted grieving and I sat in my bed. I watched the apricot blossom from outside our bedroom window and travel from bud to bloom and I cried and I cried and thankfully was visited by lots of dear friends and family and brought food and nourishing meals and had warm drinks delivered to me, my children ferried to and from school and, um, yeah, had the space that I needed to um, to grieve as felt it was required of me. But and mixed into that grief was a really deep shame as I felt really aware and very conscious of the fact that much of our little baby's pregnancy had been consumed by a lot of fear and I was really concerned that, I had in turn scared them away. So that was a that was a kind of a, pro, a process in itself of coming to coming to forgive and accept the pregnancy for what it had been, um, and also in that process trying to find a bridge between. Demo and myself because as much as I attempted to explain my experience and better articulate my needs around support and the continuing grief that I experienced it was really hard for us to find a place of meeting he he was genuinely loving and his intentions were were really good but um it was it was really hard for him to to connect to the experience and to relate and appreciate the depth of what I was going, what I was going through, and really it, it took it took months, many many months for me to slowly rebuild myself and um, come to a place where I was finally able to realise that our little star baby had come to heal me and to assist me in revealing that was that which was what that which was in need of further reconciliation and courage building and and once that process had completed itself they were able to go on their way and um yeah it really it really took to the time that would have been star baby's birthing time had she stayed for the full gestation of a pregnancy for me to feel like 
the grieving process really reached its final fruition. And at that time, what would have been her nine months of gestation, I asked a small circle of my friends to to come together in support and acknowledgement of the significance of that time. And I'd, I'd recently, through um, Jenny Blythe, who had a trip to, to Mexico, been taught the um, the beautiful practice of the closing of the bones. Jenny had spent time at a birth centre in Mexico and, and learned the practice from a midwife that was currently working in Mexico and had been taught by a, a very gifted fifth-generation Mexican patera, a traditional midwife, and Jenny had brought that practice home with her and um, shared it with me during that space of time. And um, I was able to to teach my my dear friends the little ceremony of body wrapping and um, receive the experience myself. And, um, yeah, it really felt like that brought me the sense of completion that I was needing and um, gave Mm. me a sense of feeling like I was ready to, to move on and, start to open again to to the possibility of the potential of another bubba coming. Mm. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. That was yeah, such a such a beautiful story and I've never heard uh, a pregnancy loss story from anybody who's been so engaged with the process and so welcoming of the process and I think it's yeah, just yeah, just such a blessing to hear that story and understand um, a little bit more, more about yeah what the process of grieving was like for you. So yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Don't really have the words to explain how um, beautiful it is to hear that. So thank you. Thank you, Indy. And yeah, well, I I give thanks for as painful as the experience was. I I have really become deeply grateful that it's an experience that I've walked through in in this life because I I wouldn't have prior to that time had the the depth of appreciation myself for its complexity its multifacets and the duration of time and healing that may be needed so um, yeah it's really it's really assisted assisted me to to grow my sense of honour and regard for um, for others who are like to so many of us may experience at least one, if not numerous, losses through our childbearing journeys, and um, it's it's a really it's become a really important part of my work um, and something that I'm I'm always really honoured to be called into. Um, when, yeah, when the, the very heartbreaking experience of loss does touch upon a family, it's a, a really precious thing to be able to ensure that, that that family is well cared for and that the, the lead-in, the birth and the, the very true and real extension of postpartum that truly does occur after any pregnancy whether it's a full-term pregnancy with a live baby or 
a full-term pregnancy with a bubba that doesn't stay or an earlier birth due to miscarriage or or even through a, a termination there's there's a postpartum that follows and um it's a, a a wonderful thing when that can be held and honored and recognized with love and kindness and respect mm, and it can be yeah i've seen in other people and heard many stories of that time being almost something secretive or um you know even people waiting to announce pregnancies in case in case they lose the baby in that early time is i suppose a way of keeping things secret and enhancing the feelings of shame and yeah it's hard to grieve when nobody knows what you're going through and hard to get support yeah for me hearing that and hearing how you looked at your little star baby and examined her and faced that fear yeah absolutely amazing yeah i don't think people hear stories like that so <laughs> no no we don't we don't have enough stories of that nature circulating and you're you're so accurate in your articulation of how how hard it is to 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 grieve in secret for something which nobody even perhaps your most immediate friends and family were even aware of some I am, yeah, I am really, really passionate around helping to bring those stories into the light and um, help to unveil that that secrecy and, and in turn the isolation and deeper bereavement that a family and in particular a mother can feel um, when, when it is something that she's journeying on her own. So, um, hmm. Yeah, I think we have, we have a long, we have a long way to come and there's a lot of, I think in, at large, we're quite, um, our literacy around grief is, is minimal as a society and our capacity to, to hold space for the grieving and appreciate the duration of a grieving journey at any phase of life is, is something that, um, we, yeah, we lack a lot of wisdom around. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, there's this circle and the, the sort of home birth community and the people who might be listening and maybe there's that starting to seep in through the sort of work that you and others are doing in sharing these stories. But I, I suppose then you look outside of that at um, people who are, you know, falling pregnant and going to their GP and, yeah, perhaps not aware of all the options or and going through the hospital system and just not even having any exposure to stories like that and yeah lots of handed down um three generations I suppose of mm. unpacking that has to happen before you can get to the point where that's something you're comfortable with and and even comfortable just to listen to I think mm. um, a lot of mm. people would be yeah extremely uncomfortable listening to that and it's mm. yeah I think you've shared just so beautifully and Mm. yeah I hope I hope it has an impact as it's had on me mm, thank you Indy <laughs> you touched mm. um briefly on the closing of the bones ceremony mm. would you I don't actually know much about that but I've seen some images of the body wrapping mm. that you do but would you like to explain a little bit about what the meaning mm. is behind that ritual yeah yeah so the closing of the bones came to me through Jenny Blythe as I shared 
and to Jenny from a midwife that she met whilst travelling in Mexico and um, Christina, the midwife from whom Jenny learnt the closing of the bones, had been taught the practice by a fifth-generation Mexico patera, who is a traditional midwife in Mexico. And um, in Mexico, the rebozo um, is a, a hand-woven cloth that is used for many, many different purposes Um carrying babies, carrying food, um, and also for jiggling women's bodies, supporting um, pelvic alignment and release of tensions, um, womb alignment, and able to assist in benefiting menstrual health, fertility, baby positioning during pregnancy or birth, general comfort during pregnancy and also help in the, um, yeah, the, the support of smooth and efficient labour. And the rebozo is also used for the closing of the bones, which is a postpartum practice traditionally offered to, um, to new mothers through Mexico, Central and South America. So, um, yeah, as yet, I am yet to be taught the experience firsthand. I had um, actually spent quite some time trying to seek out who this amazing fifth-generation midwife that Christina had learnt the practice from was and eventually made contact with Angelina um, earlier this year and um, arranged that I was going to go and learn from her during the month of November in this this year, um, particularly wanting to to learn firsthand what this amazing ritual really is and the many different other aspects of support that are that are woven into pregnancy and postpartum care in Mexico. But um of course that's that's not happening anymore. So um my um direct transmission from um the wise the wise hands and well of traditional women's knowledge that Angelina holds is, um, is something that I'll need to, to continue to wait and pray for. Um, in the meantime, I've really just created my own very respectful adaption of the, the practice of body wrapping that um, Jenny brought home over a decade ago now. Um, the actual practice of the closing of the bones itself, from what I understand, is is a mixture of the of the wrapping and an array of other massage, steaming, herbal, tea drinking. Um, there's a there's an array of different different components to what's offered traditionally, and it varies from midwife to midwife, from what I from what I get, what I understand, but um. What I've created as a little closing ceremony that um, I offer for um, for women, whether it be in their postpartum after a full-term birth or after any birth, be it a miscarriage or a termination or the birth of a stillborn baby in later pregnancy, um, is um, kind of a, an eclectic mix of different different practices that I've that I've learned 
it begins with a beautiful foot bath and an opportunity for the mother to, whilst bathing her feet in a deep, warm bath of flower-filled waters, sit with a little bundle of medicinal herbs that I have pre-picked with her and pre-picked with prayers for her in, in my mind and heart and um, to just sit with those herbs against her her body and against her womb and to consider what her intention and need for the ceremony to come is, what it is she's wanting to call into that space to acknowledge the passage that she has come through. Um, the herbs are then boiled up in a pot and um, and used to prepare what's called a womb or a vaginal steam, which is a, a and a practice that's seen all around the world in different traditional societies for the sake of bringing warm cleansing, healing, nourishment to the whole pelvic space. Um, a woman sits over her pot of herbs. I have a special purpose-made wooden stool that a mother sits on, underwear comes off and um, the pot goes underneath the stool and mother is wrapped up with lots of layers of of warm blankies and um and then she has a chance to sit over the steaming water and um take that time to drop back into her her womb space and acknowledge and connect with whatever may be held there still requiring release and letting go or that which may be requiring nourishment and healing and sustenance. And from the steam, we then move into some gentle body work. Often I'll have some warmed up stones that I'll use to massage a mother's belly or even some Japanese moksa, a um, traditional Chinese and Japanese medicine and heat treatment that I'll offer over the womb and over the sacrum. And just um, a little check to see whether everything is in balance, whether the hips and the pelvis are well in line, whether the womb is feeling comfortable and well aligned after the journey of birth and the early weeks of postpartum. And then we move into the body wrapping process where a selection of the rebozos are used that have been laid out over the bed on which the, um, the mother is lying and from the head down to the feet the cloths are drawn over her body so eventually she's cocooned in this beautiful firmly held shroud and the purpose of the closing the wrapping itself from what I have been relayed through Jenny is um is to help call a mother back to her centre to acknowledge that all she's been through in her passage from conception, pregnancy, birth and her early postpartum has been one of significant expansion that her body, her mind, her spirit, her heart have all expanded and grown and stretched themselves in so many and different varied ways in order to bring her beautiful baby through into the world and to grow her as a woman and as a mother in the way that she's needed to grow. But um, in order for there to be sustainability in that path 
moving forward, she needs to call herself back to her centre to consolidate and kind of come back and anchor again to move forward with, yeah, with the reserves and resources that she needs. So the, the wrapping is really about calling that mother home, bringing her back into her centre once again. And, um, yeah, it's very, very simple little practice, but um, the results are – regularly really profound and um the changes that women feel in themselves after that little ceremonial interlude which normally takes place well in my practice I I feel it works really well to offer the ceremony around the six-week point um I, I just feel that again and again um the age-old recognition that that six-week or 40-day point in a mother's postpartum truly does have significance is is affirmed for me, Um, whether it's after a full-term birth or a birth at any time. That passage of six weeks really does feel like a significant marker physically, emotionally, spiritually for for most women. So um, it's at that point that I suggest that we partake in that ceremony and I offer it to all my clients um and um yeah it's it's a really beautiful beautiful culmination of of offerings that feel like they bring something of of significance and really help to to carve out that that space to to really um yeah, really stop and reflect and give thanks to oneself for all it is that you have given in order to reach that that place of of integration and and I feel that um it's it's valuable at any at any in any situation, whether it's it's a loss that we are recognizing or the full-term healthy birth of a baby, it's a beautiful, beautiful practice to bring into one's process of integration and and healing. And, um, hmm. Hmm. and I don't feel it's ever too late. I am. I recently <laughs> offered the ceremony to a, a mother um, 35 years after um, after the loss of a baby and um, – even that long after she felt that it was really significant to, to partake in a ceremony to, to honour what she had been through. And recently a, a mother of a teenager came to see me. She was just stepping out of what had felt like the very intensive first 14 years of mothering and feeling <laughs> that something was shifting. And she had never had an experience to honour her immediate birthing of her baby um, and so she was wondering, was it still okay 14 years later to honour that now there had been 14 years worth of mothering that she really felt she wanted to, to create a ceremony and give respect to? And so, um, yeah, I'm, I, re- I really feel that it, it's never too late to create the ceremonial acknowledgement of significant passages in our lives. And um, mm, that mm. is... One that I offer and have experienced and received myself that feels 
really valuable and, and important. And I truly look forward to when I can go and um, learn, yeah, the, the true traditional roots of where this beautiful practice stems. Beautiful. That was an amazing description. And I think you're making me want to come and have one with you, actually. Oh, yes, you must do it. I know. <laughs> well, if someone can wait 35 years, one and a bit years, isn't that? Isn't that long since the time you birthed your beautiful girl? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Well, we might head into Manu's pregnancy and birth mm. then. Um, yeah, would you like to share a little bit about that sort of transition from the closure of the last pregnancy and then moving mm. through into conceiving Manu? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, so the closure of Star Baby's journey was very rapidly followed by Manu's conception, which I think took place only about a, a week or so after the, the ceremonial experience that I had had partaken in with my close friends. Um, Damo and I had gone to Tasmania to celebrate our anniversary and um, it was just after the Black Saturday fires, so um, we were we were both still in that challenging post-star baby journey place and also integrating the the stress and overwhelm of many weeks of fire vigilance. Um, and I can remember feeling that, oh, I don't know if I'm ever going to be fully ready to open to the coming of another baby and just kind of throwing my hands up to the sky above and saying, I feel like you're going to need to to just make the decision for me. Um, and it feel, feels like it was later that day that, that that's what happened. Manu came on in and um, we were um, we were actually at um, at a concert listening to some beautiful beautiful music and I um, I had this experience of what I really do believe was Manu's moment of conception um, as it was really comparative to that which I had felt with all three of the babies prior to that time, um, this really beautiful sense of warmth coming down from the crown of my head and kind of moving through my my whole body and down into my womb. And with that, this spontaneous kind of release of, of tears and, and a sense of, oh, my goodness, a baby has just arrived within me. Um, we had we had made love earlier that day, and um, that really felt like it was it was the time where something clearly came to a magical point of fruition within me, with the the warm cascade of energy. There had been a rising of of the fear, the very familiar fear that I had felt through the last part of star baby's pregnancy but um with that such a strength in what I now believe was Manu's coming 
that it did it did enable me to just get myself out of the way and um it was a really interesting symbolic culmination of events that I I felt like I just kept on kept on coming back to throughout Manu's pregnancy and every time fear rose in me because it, it did there was not only the fear of what was my postpartum going to be like there was a new fear within me of oh my goodness is this baby going to stay with me I'd never yet known the experience of loss prior to Manu's pregnancy and so um, it was a, a, a new a new aspect to be carrying that sense of tentative um, insecurity around whether or not my baby was going to stay. But um, each time either of those experiences rose, I felt like I was able to come back to that, get myself out of the way, connect with my baby, connect with the essence of what it is that I am now holding within me. And it was just such an amazing transformer for me. It really did feel like Manu again and again just took me back into the moment and assured me that it's actually okay. And um, that became a, a, a foundational practice where I would just again and again drop into my womb, take my breath down to my womb space, put my hands on my belly and just feel what was there to be felt or even ask, oh, is it okay, little one, or can, can you clarify this concern that I'm feeling? And it really did feel like Radiant Manu again and again gave me the assurance, the assurance that I needed to, to find the comfort and the anchoring that I needed that just continually helped me to, yeah, transcend the fears that were there for me. So that was Manu's conception. And um, and his pregnancy on a physical level unfolded very, very smoothly. But um, the distance that was there between Damo and I following on from our baby's pregnancy and the months after their birth and loss continued to feel very very present and it wasn't the first few months weren't weren't an easy time for us it it felt like there was an, an ongoing process of reconciliation and angst and conflict between us and um it wasn't until around the um it must have been around the the five maybe five month point where um I um took a trip to the northeast of Arnhem Land with your mama Indy and um we um we had been invited to accompany a small group of women um on a women's weaving trip where um where we were incredibly privileged to travel to a um, very remote homeland community and live in close proximity with the Yolngu people on that land and um, learn the art of um, pandanus harvesting, dyeing and weaving 
and also partake in community life, which was just um just a a profound experience. Yeah, we had we had an amazing period of time. Um, and being pregnant, I was welcomed very very warmly, and um, some of the elders on the community insisted that they begin to weave a um a pandanus traditional baby basket for Manu. Um, so whilst we were there, we saw the beginning of the frame of his basket starting to, to unfold and um, gave our word that we would come back and bring our the beautiful baby to, to meet the community the following year. Um, and we also made arrangements for um, some of the women to travel down and stay with us in the um, in the months that followed, so um, that was a really a really special part of Manu's pregnancy, and um, and definitely the the game changer that was needed for Demo and I to have some time apart and come back together on the other side of that trip and begin to prepare our way towards his birthing time. Um, having had at that stage already, um, I guess it would have been about a ten year long. Friendship with um with Jenny Blythe, I was really clear. Although she lived interstate, that I wanted her to care for me through my pregnancy, and because she had started travelling quite a lot for teaching purposes, she was going to be in Melbourne a few times through the course of my pregnancy, and she was able to come down to stay for um three weeks around the time of his birth. So um, Jenny became my caregiver although mostly through distance um, we shared some really beautiful time together through the pregnancy where she would stay for a few days with us and um, provided me with the most beautiful nurturing care um, I also chose uh, invited my dear friend Prem who um, is a really gifted musician many of you are probably familiar with her beautiful music in her duo with her husband sacred earth and um she was going to be with us for the birth and bring her harmonium and sing to me as i labored and um our dear friend greta was also um invited to to join us and um assist in holding space for my bayer and isha who were at that stage almost 11 and um six and a half um Mm, sounds like an amazing birth team, <laughs> dream team. It was. Um, it was in theory, but interestingly, as it unfolded, it wasn't quite what came to fruition. Um, yeah, it was. Um, it was um, a really. It was a beautiful pregnancy, and my work by that stage was really thriving. Um, I think I attended about nine births through Manu's pregnancy. Um, not something that I would recommend to anybody else, but um, that was that was how it unfolded. I had a great experience at around 36 weeks where um, Manu flipped into a breech position. I'd never had a baby turn breech before, and it just so happened that this happened while Jenny had come to stay with us. And so um, I woke up one morning and could feel that, my goodness, that's a head right up under my ribs. And um, when Jenny woke up, I said, I think our baby's breached, Jen. And she had a feeling. She was like, wow, 
you're right your baby's breech and stuff it became a really exciting day where we just employed all the different strategies and techniques that we had learned different rebozo techniques that Jenny had recently learned whilst in Mexico um, some internal work lots of crawling interesting inverted positions and um, by the end of that day uh, Manu had turned and um, it was a really really exciting experience and again, as had been the case with each of my um, my pregnancies, I requested a blessing way um, of the dear women friends in my life and um, was very, very beautifully celebrated in the lead up to, to Manu's birthing time. And by, by that time, I'd also begun offering the birth circle, which is um, another aspect of the services that I I continue to provide, um, so I, I was really, yeah, it was really lovely to continue the birth circle through my own, my own pregnancy, and to to have that space to sit on a regular basis, very much drawing on the um, the beautiful offerings that I had learnt from Ria all those years ago in the initial pregnancy circle that I had been a part of during Bayer's pregnancy, to um, now be the the holder of such a space for um, other women, but um, also for myself as I passage through that particular pregnancy. So, um, mm. Yeah, we came to the conclusion of, of Manu's pregnancy and um, Jenny staying with us for a full week, three-week period, which meant daily body work and beautiful food prepared for me. And yet then we started to edge closer and closer to the time that she needed to head back to Queensland and um and it was a it was not negotiable. For some reason we had just not ever considered that Manu wouldn't be born by that date. But um he wasn't born by that date. Nor was he born before um Prem needed to go away on a several month long music tour. So um, my oh, very no. well laid <laughs> plans of creating the best birth team ever um, <laughs> didn't actually come to fruition because at 42 weeks um, I had still not birthed and I needed to say farewell to, to both Jenny and Prem and um, let go of, of that experience of such incredible intimate holding that I had created for myself and that wasn't something that was easy to do and um, I felt a lot of a lot of yeah a lot of sadness and lament but also an obvious sense of recognition that well this baby clearly isn't ready to be born yet Um, and I'd never really felt that sense of wanting to push a pregnancy on as I did in those days leading up to Jenny and Prem's departure, but I, I actually did do everything I could. I had acupuncture. We made a lot of passionate love. We ate curry. I went for long walks. I had hot baths, but um, nothing could bring my darling boy into the world. So um, Jenny and Prem went on their way, and I was really fortunate to have some prearranged um, potential um conversations with Marie-Louise, the same midwife who had supported me through 
star babies birthing times um it was quite a graceful process of um i think the day after jenny left murray louise came to visit us and um greta who was still present came over and we reformed our our little birth team and also invited um our dear friend hiniani into into the circle mm. as well so um a new birth team was created several days before manu's birth and um yeah some somewhere after the 42 week time um labor began and um again it was almost exactly the same lead-in as had been the case with both bayer and isha's birth it was um around the early morning hours around kind of three or four that um i awoke to feel that very characteristic shift out of the many weeks of tightening into what now was a, a much deeper and more kind of root feeling of, of aching and um yeah this time after my learnings from Bayer's birth where we we kept really busy I had um been been really clear that as soon as that was felt it was it was time to retreat um with Manu's birth and with Isha's that day of leading into strong labor was a, a really quite quite a restful one um Bayer and Isha went for a play somewhere Isha had a birthday party actually to go to Bayer went off a friend's house and Damo and I had some really beautiful hours at home where we um, just gently finished the last little preparations of the birthing space. We had a plan to plan to birth outside again after experiencing experiencing an outdoor birth for Isha. The thought of being inside just felt un- undoable, really. So. Um, we set our bath up on a lovely big rug surrounded by cushions out underneath the cherry tree in our garden. And um, I'd spent many months building up a beautiful herb and flower garden in the surrounds of where I had intended to birth. So it was a really beautiful, luscious scene that we had created. We had a, an afternoon rest and some really beautiful and nourishing lovemaking which really felt like it catalyzed a, an intensifying of the, the regularity and strength of the surges that I was experiencing and the children came home and um, late afternoon early evening I was um, in the kitchen trying to finish the last preparations for dinner and um, chatting to your brother Majuna at the kitchen bench, he would have been about 14 at the time, I think. Um, and that was, of course, as you remember well, was the day you were moving into your new house next door. So there were lots of cars going backwards and forwards, delivering boxes and furniture. And Arjuna had um, popped in to, um, to say hello and check how it was going and find out if the baby had been born yet um not realizing that he was going to find me in early labor which wasn't an issue to begin with because I was in very early labor and um was able to chat to him in a very reasonable way um but during the the tail end of his visit things took a very sudden shift and um in the middle of a, con- a sentence, I felt the most almighty surge move through me, which sent me kind of 
lunging forward over the bench towards Arjuna and a, a involuntary deep moan coming out of me. Um, and darling Arjuna, I think, got a significant shock and leapt off his chair and let me know that he really thought he'd better get going and um, <laughs> off he went. And for me, it was all on. So, um, yeah, that must have been... Look, it must have been a little bit later. It must have been at around 7 o'clock that, that that big first surge came because um, it was only an hour and a half after that that Manu was born. And um, that hour and a wow. half was like a volcano erupting within me. It was like nothing that I've known of birth um, uh, till that time, um, not within my own body anyway, there was barely any space, barely any grace and um, just this, yeah, volcanic intensity of surge after surge after surge. And um, it's in Manu's birth where I feel I had my only little taste of a very temporary experience of um, posterior labour um, I've, I've never had a baby swing posterior in birth before, um, and yet I assume that that's went on. That's what went on for just a very short time, probably no more than half an hour of Bayer's, of Manu's labour, and it was unbelievable. Like the the searing intensification of pressure upon my back has given me so much more compassion for what it is women experience in a posterior birth and um, I just could not imagine how I was possibly going to get through any length of time with intensity of, of that nature and thankfully it shifted and his little back came around into the front and that horrendously searing sensation left my body but even so the regularity and the strength of what was pounding through me was so challenging to work with and um it it just felt like I was grasping at straws as far as trying to pull in the different resources I had used in my um in my previous births, the visualisation, the connection with the earth, my breath. Um, I barely had time to even um, oh, even clarify what it was I was attempting to be working with and another great surge was upon me again. I can remember a particular time where I just leant in with all of my weight to um, the arms of beautiful Hinayani. She um she has a a Maori heritage and she's a strong, solid, well earthed woman who has birthed four babies of her own and I, I just it was yeah, it was it was beautiful to to feel her strength and her holding and from there I I hopped into to the bath and it probably was around that time where she said to me, Steph, have you let Mara Louise know that you're in labour and I was realized that oh no I haven't um I had spoken to her earlier in the day but I'd really played down what was happening and and had 
hadn't quite brought it to consciousness yet, but I, I think there was a part of me that whilst I ideally loved her and continue to have the greatest of respect to what she brings to the birth space, I, I hadn't quite, I hadn't fully reconciled the, the loss of my original birth team and there was, there was something held back within me around inviting that new caregiver into my birth space. Had Greta arrived? Had you called her to come? <laughs> Greta knew that something was happening, but um, not realising it was happening as quickly as it was. She was um, driving around and around the streets of Warburton trying to get her little baby at only three months old, Marlo, off to sleep so that she could arrive with a <laughs> sleeping baby rather than a crying baby. Um, Greddy wasn't there yet either and um, as it happened um, Marie Louise did come but um, only within probably 15 minutes of Manu's birthing time Greta unfortunately didn't arrive until just after Manu had been born but um, the tub was filled this time it was too hot Um, it was the summer solstice and it was a really it was a really hot day and the setting sun was shining right on to where we had set the, the tub up. And um, I can just remember feeling so sweltering hot and asking Damo to bring me ice and put ice cloths onto my head and pour ice water into the bath to try and cool it down. Um, everything about Manu's birth felt hot, intense and volcanic and, um, his actual descent through my vaginal space was just so intense. I couldn't work out what was going on. I I didn't know whether I was birthing a far bigger baby than those that I'd birthed before or if somehow despite all my beautiful internal work and preparation, I had suddenly become really tight and holding of of tension, but it just felt like the actual descent of his, little head down through my vagina was like I was birthing a balloon and that's in fact what was happening because um his water bag hadn't broken yet and it wasn't until his head was born that we realized that was the case and the sensation of birthing an intact bag was so wildly intense um Manu appeared to break the bag himself when he brought his first presenting arm through and when we lifted him up out of the water he was holding his sack in his clenched fist it was was a very archetypal and almighty gesture of having broken through and out he came through the water Caught into his daddy's arms, sack in hand, big yowling howl, and up into my arms. And um, yeah, that that was Manu's birth. It was it was loud, it was intense, it was strong. My birthing cries were heard throughout the whole neighbourhood, as you can attest yourself, Indy. I think <laughs> there were about five neighbouring houses that um were aware of my birthing 
most of them didn't quite know what it was they were listening to. One person said they thought there was a cow in the neighbourhood. Someone else thought it was a chicken having trouble laying an egg. Um, your household knew what was going on. <laughs> and then there was um, an, an elderly woman a few doors up who um, apparently spent the whole hour and a half sitting on her veranda drinking cups of tea and listening to what she knew were the sounds of birth. And she wrote a beautiful card that arrived at our doorstep a couple of days later with the sweetest little hand-stitched little teddy bear that she had made whilst she was listening. And she acknowledged that I'm sitting there listening to the song of my birth and in turn the cries of Manu, Manu's arrival would be something that she would remember for the rest of her days and something that she truly cherished. So, um, yes, it was quite an, a neighbourhood experience and a, and a very warm welcoming for you and your family as you moved into your new house. Um, we um, we spent probably an hour or so in the tub. Greta arrived and um, with her beautiful little baby boy in her arms and um, Bea and Isha came down and joined us. Bea had spent the duration of the labour very close by. He finally got his first-hand wakeful birth experience. He was my drink bearer, offering me regular sips of icy water and also comforting my hot brow with with icy cloths. He felt really comfortable and peaceful in the birthing space. But Isha, at six and a half, had found the whole experience quite overwhelming and particularly the intensity of the noises that I was making had not been something that she had felt comfort um, or ease with. So um, since that time, I've um, I've used that example very often to encourage families to have a bit of a play around in advance of birth where they will have children present with the type of sounds and facial expressions and movements that may be made during the birth process because Isha quite firmly told me that if she'd only known the type of sound and the volume of sounds that I might have made, then she probably wouldn't have felt as uncomfortable and confronted as she did. So um, <laughs> we, um, we have used Isha's wisdom many times now and it does seem to make a difference when children have some kind of familiarity with the type of sounds that their mother may make. Um, you can then you can draw upon that that pre-existing play and make it fun rather than overwhelming. Mummy might sound like a cow. And mummy might sound, oh, she does. She really does sound like a cow mooing or a lion roaring. Um, so, um, yeah, unfortunately, she didn't get that preparation. But she was very happy to come come back into the birth space once her beautiful brother had arrived. And um, we had a really lovely, lovely time around the edge of a pool before we all retreated to the bedroom and Anne had, Hiniani had finished the, um, the frittata that I hadn't been able to finish preparing myself um, when the, the onset of my labour kicked in with the fury and wildness that it did. So um, she brought us up a beautiful, beautiful dinner, um, which we ate in bed. And um, 
as that next couple of hours followed, I began to feel a really achy readiness to to birth Manu's placenta. Um, it was a longer third stage than what I had known for um for either of Bayer or Isha's experience, and I, I really began to feel like the back pain that I was experiencing and the pressure of my continuing to contract womb was all just getting a bit much and I attempted to kind of drop within and connect with the release that I could feel needed to take place but in the end I I let everybody know that I'm just so ready to birth my placenta and uh, Marie Louise asked if I would like her assistance to just check where the placenta was most probably it was just sitting somewhere not far from reach and she could give a little bit of a wiggle and help it on its way and so she was in the process of putting her gloves on and um I had a revelation overcome me that told me that just alike to the checking of my own dilation and any kind of cervical assessment or internal exploration why wouldn't I be able to ascertain where my placenta was and possibly help that process of third stage birthing on its way if it was needed? And so I um, said thank you to Marie Louise, but um, I'll, I'll have a little bit of a feel myself if that's okay. And um, I don't think I need your support with helping to bring my placenta out into the world. So I, I um, gave um, Manu to demo and um i hopped up onto my knees with manu and demo sitting just in front of me since his cord of course was still attached and i just leant forward on my knees and reached down and connected with the cord at the entrance of my vagina and then just gently followed it inside and sure enough not too far from my vaginal entrance i could feel the cervix my cervix closing down around the cord and a little lick of placenta just peeping down from the inside of my womb. And I let everyone know, oh, my gosh, it really is just there. I can feel it and I can gently run my fingers around the lip and, oh, wow, when I do so, it releases a little bit. And, of course, that stimulated my womb to contract and a little more placenta came through and before I knew it, the whole of the placenta came down into the vagina and into my hand and I was able to birth my own placenta without any need for assistance or interaction with anybody else. Um, that was a, that was a really precious part of Manu's birthing story where I feel I I learned another aspect of where a mother can autonomously hold herself through her birthing passage. And while, of course, it's not usually needed that anybody assists in the birth of the placenta, um, and very often it's a much more inner process of reconciliation and release that is all that's needed to complete that, that process of of birth and release the placenta and bring it into the world. It was really exciting to realize if and when 
a little bit of assistance may be required, there's no reason why that can't come from the mother's very sensitive and attuned hands herself if the mother feels comfortable to, to offer herself that little bit of assistance and exploration. So, um, mm, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and Manu was the first placenta that we um, we chose to ingest. Sharon Bayer had both been lotus birth, something that we had felt really passionate about. Um, but since that time, in fact, it was in Isha's postpartum when I was really struggling that our goat had a baby, a couple of kids actually, and I watched our goat eating her placenta in her immediate postpartum time and I had a really strong realisation that that's probably what I needed to do with both my babies and that as beautiful as the lotus birth practice was, it was ingesting my placenta if I ever had another baby that felt like it was it was most needed. But my um, my challenge was that I was also really passionate about giving the placenta to to the earth, and um, I had to go through a bit of a process of reconciling how could I do both. And um, thankfully, the guidance that um. I have received from a beautiful Ewan Wiradjuri elder, Auntie Min Maya, helped me understand that it was the baby's side of the placenta the, where the tree of life and the cord and the membranes attach that very much holds the, the soul print of, of that child and that life while the other side of the placenta, the maternal side, that which connects to the mother, is of course of the mother and part of the mother's body and um, through that understanding I came to my own little place of finding comfort with well I'll very respectfully separate the fetal side from the maternal side I can give the fetal side the cord and the membranes to the earth in the little ceremony that we can create together as a family but I can take the maternal side for myself and my own nourishment. And um, that's, what, that's what we did. So um, we had a beautiful ceremony a day after Manu was born and we buried his side of the placenta and my side was cooked up in what I now call Mediterranean-style placenta, <laughs> quick pan fry with lemon and salt and olive oil and lots of Mediterranean herbs and greens, and it, it was delicious and it really did feel like it it gave me a, a sense of sustenance and grounding and balance over those early days that, um, that I really needed. And, um, mm. Yeah. And how was your journey with breastfeeding with Manu? I'm afraid to say that it was not easy once again. And um, with Manu, alike to with Isha, there were many, many episodes of mastitis in the first year. And as was the case with all three of my babies, despite my extensive efforts through pregnancy to um, fulfil an candida diet and stay away from all sweet things the um the thrush came back and um I had another full year of 
severe nipple thrush after Manu was born. Um, but I did once again get on top of it and Manu was able to be fed for another two years after that point without any thrush. And this time, although the actual physical symptoms were as severe as they had been the two previous times, it was a really different experience in that it didn't feel like the same trauma response was being triggered and activated within me. I feel by that time I had done so much work addressing and healing the yeah the many layers of compromise that I carried in my breasts um, that it really was it was just a physical experience that I was dealing with during Manu's breastfeeding challenges and not the complex enmeshment of physical emotional trauma all mixed into one awful <laughs> endurance um, whilst the same physical challenges were there it was much I wouldn't say it was easy but um, it was a more manageable experience for me and yet of course when it finally passed when he was a year old um, I was so so thankful that um yeah I could could go on to feed with comfort and yeah really really grateful that that full three-year period of of wonderful, happy and comfortable feeding was able to be fulfilled. Mm, amazing. I can remember going, you did return to Arnhem Land, Ooh. to Maparu when in the year after Manu was born and <laughs> um, and I was there for that and I can recall Manu being such a big baby at that time. <laughs> but was Manu he was big when big. he was born? Manu was the smallest of all my babies. He was only um, eight pounds compared to nine, eight and a, and eight and a half with Bayer and Isha. But he became the, the plumpest and most luscious and rotund of all of my babies. <laughs> and, yes, we did go back to Arnhem Land and we also received his baby basket in the mail. It was um, far grander than I had imagined. And it, Sorry, it didn't come in the mail. It was far too big to travel in the mail. It had to travel from Maparu in northeast Arnhem Land to Gullywinko and then by barge to Darwin, and then it travelled with an art exhibition down to Sydney and then was finally able to be collected by a mutual friend and brought to us just after Manu's birth. So um, Manu had the most beautiful hand-woven, hand-dyed, traditional Yolmu basket that he slept in during his first year of life. And um, when the women from Maparu came down to stay with us in his early months. It was just such a beautiful thing to share with them our big fat sleeping baby in the basket that they had assisted to make and um, in turn to travel back to Maparu when Manu was six months old and introduce him to all the extended family and community up there was um, a really joyful thing and that was where Manu was given his um, his first food. He was... Um, offered a turtle when we um when we arrived there by my um adopted Yolno father and um Manu's turtle was cooked up on the coals by the grandmothers and um his first food at six months old was turtle paw. Um <laughs> it was a very, very beautiful thing to introduce solids in that way, sitting by a fire with 
elders surrounding me, tearing off a turtle paw and presenting it to my very fat baby who sucked and gnawed with the greatest of delight on his um, his first food offering. Beautiful. And I think in the interest of time, we better wrap things up from there. But, um, yeah, we're going to be sharing or you're going to be sharing a beautiful little meditation and we might record that separately as a separate little bonus episode to this one. So, um, yeah, nice little meditation for anybody or anybody to listen to, but particularly if you're pregnant and expecting a baby at this time. Um, And, yeah, we'll record that separately so that people, including myself, can keep coming back to that and listening to it when they feel like they need to but yeah thank you so much once again for coming on the show and sharing all those beautiful stories there's just so much wisdom and knowledge in this in this episode and um yeah it feels like a real honor to be able to capture that and share it so thank you thank you so much indeed and thank you for the incredible service that you are giving to women everywhere and the opportunity of being able to listen to stories from their own home and to grow and to learn and yeah to share with their families and partners the possibilities of what what birth can be I I really do feel that story is such an incredible teaching tool and um yeah I'm really really grateful that you're providing this service Mm, thank you (laughs) My babies were born upon the traditional lands of both the Wurundjeri and the Gumbagnia people, not far from the banks of the Birrarung and the Bellinger River. I would like to give my heartfelt acknowledgement to the traditional custodians of these two countries, to their elders, both past, present and emerging, and to the traditional birthing wisdom of the Gumbagnia and the Wurundjeri people and offer my deep gratitude for the privilege that it has been to birth upon these beautiful, beautiful lands. Thank you for tuning into today's episode with Steffi. If you would like to see more photos of Steffi and her beautiful children, you can head over to my Instagram at keepbirthwild.podcast. And if you'd like to find out more about Mapu and the Arnhem Weavers and Auntie Minmaya, I have added links to their websites in the show notes. I've also added links to some websites Steffi recommends taking a look at if you would like to find out more information about traditional Mexican approaches to birth work, the closing of the bone ceremony and the use of the Mexican rebozo cloth, and her own website, which is sacredbirth.com.au, where, yeah, there's just so much, so much to explore there, so do make sure you check it out. Thank you again for listening and keep an ear out for the next episode. Bye.